This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and irrelevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Janet. Welcome, Janet. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you, Annie. It's lovely to to see you in the flesh. Almost. (laughs) You too. Yeah, this is great. Well, welcome. And why don't you just sort of take us back to the beginning uh, with your journey in alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Oh, my drinking years. Well, I learned to drink at college. (laughs) I learned lots of things there, but mainly how to drink, I think. But it was more or less under control. You know, it wasn't crazy. Um, But then in my 20s, I lived in London. I shared an apartment with three other women. You know, we all had good jobs. I worked at the BBC. We all worked hard, play hard. There was always uh, wine around in the evening. But, you know, we'd have a glass, maybe two. And my my first wake-up call, now that I've got so much hindsight, obviously, you know, looking back over the years, I can see the danger points. And... My first wake-up call that I completely ignored um, was when I woke up in hospital one morning and I didn't know why I was there, which hospital I was in. I felt terrible. I didn't know what had happened. But apparently my flatmates had to fill me in. And they told me that we'd been, uh, you know, having a couple of glasses of wine like we normally did every evening. And then some friends came around. So, you know, they brought some more and we, you know, got got stuck into the wine. And apparently I must have got stuck in very enthusiastically because about midnight I announced that I was going to go to bed. And I don't remember any of this. And I went to the bathroom and locked the door because it's every night before I went to sleep, I would have a bath. You know, I still do. It was just my habit. So I locked the door because there were other people there, got in the bath. And my, about half an hour later, my uh, one of my flatmates started knocking on the door just to say goodnight, you know, and what's going on in there. And they didn't hear anything. And... Then they started panicking and they couldn't get the door open. So they rang the emergency services and, you know, it's a good job they did because by that time I'd slipped under the water and they turned up with the fire brigade and the medics and they knocked the door down and I was under the water, you know, and I had to be resuscitated and carted off to hospital. So a real drama and mad you know and when I think back now I think oh you know that was the ideal time to get some help but you know what we did Annie we just turned it into a joke you know it was one of the legends it was did you hear about Janet in her bath you know what an idiot and I it it never occurred to me to stop drinking after that I just ask a question because wow that's um so just the timing happened to work out perfectly yeah where they noticed yeah and they got there in time yeah Um, I think they must have noticed that I was a bit drunk 
because <laughs> you know we all knew each other very well right. and you know they must have something must have made that I mean obviously I look back now and I think oh my god you know I could have died at 25 I mean this stuff is so dangerous so wow. anyway life went on carried on drinking that was the if I think about my 20s that was the only drama you know, I might have, you know, had a had a, a couple of those blackouts where it gets a bit blurry at the end of the evening and you can't quite remember the end of the evening very well, but nothing like that, not a complete blackout at all. So when I was 30, then I got married and uh, my husband, we met in a bar. I mean, he was quite an enthusiastic drinker as well. So we just had one of those marriages, you know, the work hard, play hard, both had good jobs. I had my son when I was 30 and I stopped drinking for nine months, but I remember it was a long nine months and I couldn't wait, you know, to start again. I was really white knuckling it. So, you know, we had one of those relationships. We'd get back from work, we'd have a shot of Jack Daniels and open a bottle of wine with dinner. And that that was just normal every evening. At weekends, we'd have more because we'd have dinner parties you know, and all of our friends drank like we did. We'd be there till three o'clock in the morning, drinking, talking, laughing, and it was just normal. You know, everybody that we mixed with was like us, and we we never talked about alcohol problems or anything. You know, we just thought we were living the life, and we were. And, you know, I always say that alcohol is is great fun, you know, until it's not, until it all goes goes wrong, which it does for some of us, as you well know. So during my 40s, uh, I got remarried. And that was when the trouble starts, <laughs> because my second husband is French, and they've got a very different attitude towards alcohol than the English. You know, the English, we quite like our kind of party nights and our binge drinking. And But the French don't seem, don't drink like that, really. They either, you know, they drink with food or they drink fine wine. But, but he was quite bemused by my bottle of wine a night, which it was, that was the habit by then. And he just kept saying, you know, I think you drink too much. I think you should cut down because it's not good for your health. <laughs> he was absolutely right. But I just kind of brushed him off. But I did try. You know, I didn't like the thought of being controlled or being told what to do. But I did want to stay in that relationship. So I tried hard to cut down. And I remember Googling safe limits, you know, low risk limits, a bottle and a half of wine a week. And I'd been putting away that most evenings. So uh, I thought, mm, this is going to be an adjustment. But I really tried. I got a little notebook, wrote down all the units, had lots of rules. And uh, I call that my kind of decade of moderation because I was trying to do that for 10 whole years. I couldn't contemplate the thought of not having alcohol in my life. I mean, how would that work? You know, surely we have to have wine <laughs> because God couldn't imagine life without it. Right. So, you know, I carried on on this, you know, and you know what it's like every time you, you fail, you know, you just feel what's wrong with me? Why can't I drink like my husband drinks? You know, he'd have one glass of wine and then he'd go and do something else, whereas I had to finish the bottle. So I was in despair really about my drinking. I just didn't know what to do. And then in my 50s, I had another wake up call, which was breast cancer. 
And that was quite serious. You know, I had chemotherapy and mastectomy. And but that was back in 2006. And people didn't talk about breast cancer and alcohol, the, the link back then. You know, I had no, I, I wasn't in denial as much as completely ignorant. I didn't realize that I'd been putting myself at risk with all those years of heavy drinking. And it was the hormonal type of breast cancer as well. So um, I, I do remember asking my oncologist before I, I left, you know, I mean, I got I got through it and, you know, seemed to be OK. And I said, so do I need to make any lifestyle changes? You know, do I need to eat organic? Do I need to um, stop drinking alcohol? <laughs> Fingers crossed they wouldn't say yes. And he said, oh, my dear, he said, uh, you've come through this. You know, it's been very difficult for you. Now you've got to go away and enjoy your life. There's nothing wrong with, you know, a drop of wine now and again. And of course, in his mind, you know, he was probably envisaging the odd glass of wine. But I, I took that as carte blanche to go back to my, uh, you know, my bottle of wine, a night habit. So I carried on. And I didn't get my final wake up call until I was 63, would you believe? And I was away with some friends. Um, there were about eight of us. We'd rented a, a, a beautiful house here on the coast in South Africa just, you know, to hang out together for the weekend. They were all pretty hard drinkers, apart from my poor, long suffering husband. <laughs> and it was the kind of weekend where you start. Saturday morning for breakfast, you know, on the bubbly and, and just carry on from there. So um, that's what we did on the Saturday. And Sunday morning, I woke up, you know, feeling very odd and very ill, but obviously pretending that was absolutely fine. The British stiff upper lip came into play. And at breakfast, you know, we were talking about what we were going to do that day. So I said, oh, let's walk to the next village because I've heard there's another beautiful house that maybe we can rent that next time. And there was this weird silence over the breakfast table. And, and someone said, uh, Janet, we did that yesterday and you were with us and you were walking and talking and you seemed absolutely normal. <laughs> and I had no recollection of it at all. And it was, you know, I mean, I call that my walking, talking blackouts. And it wasn't a blurry end of the evening blackout. It was, I calculated I'd lost six hours. And that really frightened me because, you know, getting older. And I think I knew that all the alcohol that I'd consumed over the years had probably been damaging my body. I'd, I'd had breast cancer to prove it. But then, you know, the thought of that I was really messing with my mind. So I tried to research what this kind of blackout was. And uh, Google told me that it was um, it meant that your your brain was so soaked in alcohol that it couldn't make memories. You know, it's not that you've forgotten stuff. And I thought, my word, <laughs> this is crazy. And that Monday morning, I, I said to my husband, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm done with alcohol, I can't do this anymore. And rather than say, oh, I've heard that before, he actually said, I've never heard you say that before, you always say, I'm going to cut down, I'm going to drink less. And that was the key for me, you know, getting to that realisation, <laughs> finally, it had taken me decades and decades of denial to get there. But I finally realised that I would have to get rid of this stuff. And then, you know, how I did that was is another story, which I can continue if you like. 
Yeah, no, I'd love to hear it. Yes, please, please continue. Okay, well, by that time I was living here in South Africa. So I trotted down to AA. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. There was nothing else here. So I went to AA and, and really didn't like it. I went to a few different meetings, but I just couldn't find my kind of people. You know, it was mostly guys and they were quite hardcore, you know, drinking in the morning when they were drinking and they'd lost, you know, their marriages and their jobs. And I wasn't there yet. I mean, I might have been on, on my way there, but I, I just felt such a lightweight in that group. I thought, I can't, I can't really relate to these people. But I knew, you know, there was, and there was something in this kind of community thing. I, I could see it. So I carried on looking uh, and I found a workshop in London, which is where I'm from. So I thought, OK, I'm going to go to this workshop. And it was just a one day workshop. And it was it was nothing special. It was actually run by a nurse who'd been working on the liver ward. <laughs> she just wanted to do this, you know, to help people. It was really sweet of her. So it was useful in that we had some tools, you know, changing behavior type tools. But the really useful thing that worked for me was the connection. There were women there like me, you know, they had good jobs, they had nice families and they were drinking a bottle of wine a night. And they knew that as they got older, it was just going to cause so many problems for them and they wanted to stop. So because I got in touch with those ladies, then I came back to South Africa and we were talking to each other on WhatsApp all the time, keeping each other going. So, so that was, was great, you know, so I was really working hard, you know, and getting through the days, counting up the days, but I wasn't very happy, you know, I was, I was really missing, uh, you know, my, my friends, because a lot of my boozy friends, you know, they didn't call me much anymore, <laughs> so I felt a bit of an outsider, and I missed it, you know, frankly, I missed the good times, and then I found your book. Well, first of all, I found you on the internet. I found some video where you were, it struck me because you were in the tube in London and you were talking about some hangover or something that you'd had and you'd had a mimosa at Heathrow or something. And that was the kind of thing I used to do because I used to travel a lot for work as well. And I thought, well, oh, this lady looks pretty cool. And then I got your book because we're talking about 2015 now. So I think your book was relatively new at that time. But I um, read your book and it just so many light bulbs, you know, went on. I finally understood, you know, this thing isn't about willpower because that's all I'd been using, willpower. And, you know, that's why I was miserable because I still saw alcohol as something desirable so that light bulb went on and the limiting beliefs and I thought yes you know this makes so much sense and apart from that light bulb it also the book also made me really angry because you made me see for the first time how manipulated we've been you know as women particularly in wine and you know decades of the wine industry targeting us ruthlessly until there's probably majority of women on the planet now think that they need to have a glass of wine to, to relax and enjoy themselves. They've really done a stunning job. And I was certainly, you know, someone that they manipulated. So I felt kind of angry and then, but I felt hopeful as well. because so I thought if I tried this approach, then I can live without alcohol and, and be happy about it, which 
to my first early months of sobriety I couldn't imagine that ever getting to that place but um you know it it worked and I I started kind of analyzing what my personal limiting beliefs were and it was an obvious one that you know I've I couldn't imagine socializing without alcohol because for me that's what socializing meant so I started because in the first few months I've been a bit reclusive which I think is probably another reason why I was feeling a bit depressed but I forced myself out there to socialize without alcohol again and again and I kept a journal writing about it sometimes I would just have to run away after half an hour I found it so excruciating but I really forced myself and gradually, you know, I can still remember coming home in a cab one night and thinking, oh, it's such a, a great evening, you know, and I'm meeting that person for coffee and I'm going to read that book. And, and I thought, oh, and I wasn't drinking. <laughs> it was it was a revelation. And that was, you know, as you've helped me understand, that was my subconscious accepting it's possible to socialize without alcohol. And then, you know, after that, things got some, things got easier and easier. And the other thing that I realized, because by that time I was retired from my corporate job. Um, but, you know, we, when you're drinking retirement, it just slips away. You know, it's you, you have a little drink at lunchtime and then before you know where it's evening and time to open another bottle of wine. But now that I wasn't drinking, I had time on my hands and I thought, what am I going to do? And that's when, you know, as my background is um, human resources, I was a, a trainer and an executive coach. So I decided that I was going to help other people to do what I've done. So I set up Tribe Sober. <laughs> wow, that's so great. What a what a cool story, Janet. And <laughs> how has it been like, you know, in your community and socializing? Has there been any fallout or has it been for me socializing these days yeah yeah I mean it's it's absolutely fine you know it's um I think I started tribe sober after when I was sober for about a year I thought I've got to focus on myself for a year before I start trying to help other people but by that time I, I was fine and I really enjoy socializing these days because I uh I just put on my anthropologist hat, you know, and I just watch people and it's it's probably a bit judgmental. I mean, I would never say anything, but I'm thinking, oh, look at that one. And oh, I've heard that story so many times. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I go out quite a lot these days. And if anybody, because in the beginning, I, I was so embarrassed, you know, and I used to clutch my alcohol free drink and and just pray that nobody would ask me what was drinking. And then I'd have to explain that I had this little problem. And I, I really drove myself mad, you know. I mean, of course, now I understand that people don't really care that much. But um, these days, you know, if people um, dare to challenge me about the fact that I don't drink, you know, then uh, I really enjoy myself. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, you seem like you're enjoying yourself, having so much fun and just taking it all in stride. I am. Um, it's it's amazing. And wow, what a backstory, what a history. That's that's just I mean, do you think about that sometime and just find it staggering? Like, wow, how did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes me angry because I was so angry with myself for being so gullible. But, you know, when, when everybody around you is drinking, it, it takes 
real courage and confidence to to be different you know and I wasn't a particularly confident person I just wanted to do what everybody else did and and have fun so um you know it's it's difficult and I, I see over and over again I see people falling into the picture plants <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and you've been doing this for a long time how have you seen things evolve like in the um you know the landscape of of how acceptable it is to be not drinking and well it's um things are changing I think a little bit because um when I stopped seven years ago I mean there was only um AA for me to go to and it took a lot of looking to find this tiny little kind of niche workshop in London but these days you know as you know there's online sobriety groups everywhere so that's great you know because a lot of people I mean the people that I work with they're mostly they wouldn't go to AA you know they'd be kind of embarrassed and they think it's it's much easier to do things online which it is so that's that's great that there's this modern recovery movement really isn't it and yeah. the other the other huge change of course is the alcohol free drinks you know that that market has just exploded there was there was nothing when i gave up 7 years ago you know I, and that used to make me even more grumpy because you'd go out and you'd have to have coke or water or something while everyone's drinking their wine but these days you know even here in south africa we've got an online shop where they'll deliver, you know, a great selection of all the alcohol-free wines and beers and any drinks, you know, that you fancy. They've got more than 100 choices. So that's great, you know, because they're, they're very useful in the beginning, those kind of drinks. That's amazing. I love that so much. Well, that's so great. I know I was actually out to dinner last night and there was um, mocktails on the menu. They had all sorts of, like, a whole section of it dedicated to different different options yeah. that is just really cool and didn't even exist before I still ordered iced tea but yeah oh, and what about the magazine do you know about Ola Soba no no uh -uh. oh you must have a look at that it's a lady she's Irish and she lives in Madrid and that's why it's called Ola Soba and uh, she she produces this beautiful magazine uh, there's about 100 pages it's one of these um flipping books you know the ones you have it on your screen and you can just uh, watch it and it's absolutely beautiful and it's her mission to make sobriety just as glamorous and fun as we all used to think drinking was and you know she has beautiful mocktails and fashion and makeup and stories and articles it's really good have a look at it Oh, I will for sure. That's amazing. That's so great. Well, this has just been absolutely wonderful, Janet. And let me ask you the question that I sort of finish these up with, which is if you were going to go back in time and um, especially for some of those, those moments, and I, I'm feeling that the one about, you know, the walking blackout is probably a little more relevant because it was really the catalyst. But if you were going to, to wake up that morning and talk to that Janet about what life is like, now and you know her fears of being always I'm going to cut back I'm going to cut back to that shift to I can't do this anymore um what would you tell her yeah well I'd certainly love to grab hold of her the, the morning after the bath incident <laughs> and say you know you're this is you're risking your life with these kind of crazy situations 
And I have been in some, you know, I've certainly fallen down many flights of stairs, for example. Uh, I was never someone that would drive drunk, but I've certainly been in cars where, you know, the driver was that way. So I've taken big risks. But I would say to that person, you know, don't laugh this off. It, it's serious. And the fact that nobody else that evening got as smashed as I was you know may, there's something about you know maybe the way your body is processing alcohol but go and talk to somebody you know go and see a therapist go and see a doctor just learn a little bit more about it and then don't waste your time with moderation because that's hopeless once you become dependent which I think I already was at 25 just you know quit because it is so much easier isn't it to quit I mean trying to control an addictive substance it's it's impossible and it just makes you feel worse and worse about yourself and I think finally I would say to her you know even if alcohol doesn't destroy you and it doesn't destroy everybody by any means it'll prevent you from reaching your potential because it just dulls us down you know we we just get used to feeling rubbish, you know. And and I remember about, about 10 years ago, I really felt, you know, really bad most days. And I used to think, oh, well, it's my age, you know. I feel rubbish because I'm 60 years old. But since I've stopped drinking, <laughs> I just feel amazing. You know, I'm just full of beans, wake up, can't wait to get on with the day. And I really think it's it's one of the best things that women can do as they get older for so many reasons. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Well, that was amazing. Well, thank you so much, Janet, for joining me. And what a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for writing that amazing book. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rear view mirror for once and forever and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out nakedmindpath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.